Mate, this is going to be awesome. It's not stayed to come down, but that one. Hit him, hit him. It's more than just a hobby, it's who we are. Cracker. That's why we hunt. Welcome to the Educated Hunter Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Ultimate OE. As most of you would know, Curran and I run a business called Ultimate OE. We specialise in sending young Kiwis and Aussies to Canada and Scotland to work in the hunting industry. Applications for next hunting season, so 2020, both in Canada and Scotland, are now open. As hunters, we're not often happy with inauthentic experiences. We're always looking for something adventurous, more exciting and more unique. Same goes for overseas experiences. We deliver once-in-a-lifetime opportunities working for the best outfitters in Canada and the best hunting estates in Scotland. Our train-before-you-go setup means that we can secure all the best jobs with the best employers, with the best people in the best spots, all ahead of time because they know you're going to turn up with the knowledge and skills to hit the ground running when you get there. If you're interested in an OE in Canada or Scotland next year based around hunting in the mountains, it doesn't get much better in my opinion. If you think you might be interested or just want to learn a little bit more about what we do, feel free to get in touch and get us on email at ultimateoemail at gmail.com. You can flick us a PM on Facebook or Instagram, either through the Educated Hunter or Ultimate OE pages. Either will work, whatever blows your hair back. Enjoy the show. Well, first of all, thanks for thanks for meeting up with me. I know you're busy. You're off to the Yukon today, aren't you? Uh, this afternoon, yeah. This afternoon. Are we are we on air right now? Yeah, you, we're recording. This is the best thing about so, it. So I can't no more uh, four letter words or anything like that. No, actually, we put a little e next to all of our episodes, <laughs> so you can actually say what you like. Uh, oh, is that right? Yeah, excellent. So I appreciate you um, joining me. Congratulations on grandchild number three. Three, four on the way. A couple of weeks from now, I'd yep. say we saw yep. Ash and Brand over the weekend, actually. Yeah, he's, uh, so, I saw him yesterday. We were picking tomatoes. It's harvest time. Nice. And so we were over there picking tomatoes, and actually, our wine grapes were almost ready as well. So it's an awesome time of the year. I, I love it. Yeah. Went for a run this morning, and then went for a swim, and then uh, had blackberries off the side of the road for breakfast. We, um, I picked blackberries about three days ago. Yeah. I I, fro- I froze them because I don't know what to do with them. Louise is the the blackberry jam expert. So brands making jam. But he's not an expert yet. No. So I can do that too. <laughs> I can make jam too, but it's not Nana Wheezy's jam. No, it's not quite the same. So I know you've done probably a million of these podcasts. And actually last time I saw you, we were on your boat and we were prawning and you were um, maneuvering up to boys and backing the boat up, doing quite difficult things while doing a podcast. So you obviously got oh, to- I was <laughs> <laughs> That was over the phone. That yeah, had to yeah. be on a cell phone. Exactly. So you're... you're Autopilot. <laughs> kicks well, in. On which, which is autopilot though? The podcast or, or the, the actual driving. The, the driving? Well, yeah. the driving was quite good, so I suspect that might have been <laughs> autopilot. Um, but anyway, what I was leading to and trying to get to is the fact that you've probably I don't know how many podcasts have you done fifty. Oh, maybe maybe a few more than that. Yeah, including Joe Rogan, which is sort of the pinnacle of podcasting. Yeah, that, that's for, that's what I hear. I, I've never actually heard one of his podcasts but including the one i did yeah but I, I hear he's like 20 bazillion followers or something yeah, like that. he really is i was actually listening to one this morning 
on my way here that you would enjoy talking to a fishing game um, a CEO out of uh, California talking about their task force that they have for basically taking down illegal grows that the cartels are doing in California. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, I was just down there in Trinity, Trinity County. It's like it's Grand Central amazing. Station for those guys. I had no idea. And yeah. was, these guys are talking about like attack dogs and gunfights and sniper teams and stuff that they have now as sure. conservation officers. Yeah. It's yeah. unreal. Anyway. Well, well, welcome to legalizing marijuana. Marijuana. Well, not legalizing it properly. Oh, oh there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is the big issue because it's – Legal by state, but not federally. Yeah, which means that they can grow it in California. If they get caught, it's only a misdemeanor, but then they take it illegally into other states. Right. So, so, so now, Coast. so now, now you've got to have border guards at every state. Yeah. Instead of just on one main border for your country. Yeah. I, I, it's ridiculous. It's fascinating, really. Yeah. And it's also interesting the prices of land, how they went through the roof over the last few years for the grow-ops. Oh, really? Yeah, it has nothing to do with, because you can't make money on that land other than grow-ops. Yeah. It, I, I got a big lesson in it last week hunting uh, Columbia Blacktails down there. Well, I mean, it was interesting because the conservation officers are in it primarily because of the environmental damage they're doing. Because right. yeah. they're bringing across, I forget the name of the chemical, but it's been banned in, you know... It's probably DDT or something. Well, it's worse than that, but it's they bring it across the border you know, illegally with their drugs yeah. to use on these grow-ups. So nothing will touch it, but it gets in the waterways and just nukes everything. Yeah. So that's their major issue is how horrible it is for the environment. Yeah, it's just it's it's a classic case of she swallowed a spider to catch the fly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, now you got to swallow yeah. a bird, now a cat, now a dog. Yeah, it goes round and round and round, doesn't it? But anyway, for that reason, I figured we'd skip over the, the normal nauseating questions of when did you learn to hunt and who's your biggest mentor and all that kind of stuff. Because if you want to <laughs> find out that about you, I'm sure just yeah, look up Jim I, Shockey I can, I on the probably, podcast I can machine. probably Google myself and find it. But, but what I want to know is what, what's been your most popular podcast so far just in terms of... So far? Yeah. Um, number one so far is Andre from the Hunters Club. So he's a young guy runs a TV show in New Zealand, and is also a CrossFit athlete. Huh. Okay, because I want to try and beat him. Okay. There's no, no, no other reason than let, let's, let's make this a competition. And this will work. <laughs> <laughs> Bran, I think, is still number three. Number three? Yeah. Wow, that's pretty high. Yeah, so he's doing all right. But he's but the thing is, it's all-time views. And he's – that was about a year ago now I did one with him. So he's had a long time up there, so – so yeah. he's he's number three only because he's, he's been, there for been on long. there forever. Exactly. How about this Andre fellow? How long has he been? Uh, three weeks. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Andre, wherever you are, I'm coming for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and that, um, I think it, largely it is, and we're starting to learn these podcasts take a while to get going. We're about, this will be episode 36, 37. And I had a big conversation with, you know, the Pace Boys. You did a podcast with them, yep, funnily enough. You bet. So because we've got an operation now in Scotland, we've got quite friendly with them and um, Curran spent time with them in Scotland and they've spent time with Curran in New Zealand and back and forth. And um, They said, look, it's a grind until you get to about that 30, 35 mark and then it starts getting a little bit of momentum and people start talking about it. And we're really starting to see that now. So... When yeah, Andre, and they can binge listen, I guess, is, is exactly. the thing. There's, there's, there's some substance there. There's some content there now. Sure. And, you know, and because Andre, you know, within New Zealand, our little 
bubble on the other side of the world. People know who he is. So he shared it on his platforms and that creates momentum and it sort of builds from there. So that's the key point. Andre, I'm going to share it on my platform, <laughs> big guy. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I figured we'd just sort of um, jump right in. My unique sort of perspective of the fact that I, you and I spent close to five years in each other's back pockets. Will give us. Well, I was with you more than I was with my my wife of thirty five years. So long, that was you were going pretty hard out at that point. In your yeah, life, weren't you? yeah. And yeah, for, for another it. probably four or five years after that. Yeah, and probably probably five years before that. Even you know, it, it, it was fifteen years of over three hundred days a year on the road, straight, and and before that probably two hundred days. Yeah, and and like I say that to people, and they sort of nod their heads, but the, no one actually stops to think about what that means. Like yeah, it means you're not at home. You're not at home. Yeah, and, yeah. and it means when you are at home, it's it's 65 days. Please don't bug me with anything. I just yeah. want to be at home. Yeah, I mean, it's the only time in my life that I was ever um, captivated by video games because it would come back from one of those trips and you just didn't want to do anything. Like, I don't need to do fitness. Thanks very much. I've done plenty <laughs> of that. Welcome, I yeah. have my fill of the outdoors. <laughs> I've had my fill of people. All I want to do is... You know, sit down and just switch the brain off for two or three days before you have to get on another plane. And that that's really the same, except for me it was not video games, it was just family or doing something normal with, with a uh, a routine. Yeah. To get up in the morning and have a cup of coffee in my favorite cup <laughs> that I love, you know, made by my wife who makes the best coffee in the world or cafe lattes, don't so tell me. Unfortunately, anybody. at that time of the year I was living time was living with your son so he didn't make so you, great you guys are batching it already <laughs> yeah. yeah and he was up till three in the morning editing and video you know, games hence, yeah, hence the video yeah, games hence that so anyway we met man it must be pushing over 10 years ago now well it has to be it has to be more than 10 years it must be more so you were 10, 10. <laughs> pretty close you looked at yeah i probably felt it in hindsight now too but uh what, do you remember much of that time? I mean, I've told the story probably 15 times on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember this young redhead coming up wearing shorts, and it was about 20 below down in New Zealand, which, by the way, anybody listening to this, I can tell you, I can assure you that New Zealand is not a tropical climate, maybe in the very north of the North Island. But it was freezing cold, and you came walking out with shorts. Shorts. And, and, and I think a Swazi... Long made you look like a beetle bug, which I was so jealous about because it was it was an awesome jacket. <laughs> looked like a rock star should be wearing that. Yeah, and then and then very quickly I remember because Louise was there yeah, and sure. Evie was, uh, you know, still an Aussie. Yeah, I think so. Or going to university. Yeah. And Louise actually told me that boy would make such a good husband for for you. And I was like, "Barf, throw up!" Are you I kidding remember me? that she was trying to show me photos, and she had a photo in her wallet in the yeah. back seat. Yeah, she was oh, marketing. She so, was mar- so uncomfortable sitting there, <laughs> yeah. hands clasped. Well, mind. at that time, we didn't know if there was any chance that Eva would ever find anybody. So we were we were we were actually just reaching out to anybody. Yeah, she's so, done so all don't, right. So don't think don't. Yeah, she she did fine. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, don't, don't don't think that you were. Like way up on the list, you were just a boy. Oh, trust me, <laughs> I met Evie for what maybe five minutes. <clears throat> yeah. I can't remember. I came and spent Christmas with you guys that year, and mm, I, that part I don't remember. But yeah, we we, we took in a lot of orphans over you the did. years. Spent Christmas with you. Met Evie for maybe five minutes, and I was like, nah, <laughs> 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 can't handle hey, yeah. can't handle that 
See, I, I would have been happy. And we ended up traveling, what, for a couple of years together, yeah. right, when she started yeah, all into all the, the industry. Place. So very, very good friends. But, you know, when you meet somebody and you just sign that. Different category, yeah, yeah. Too, too high maintenance. I'll do credit to <laughs> you. And you to, said it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I said it exactly, and I, I said it to Tim before he married her. So yeah, listen, hey, I ain't taking her back. So, <laughs> so this is you. You're taking over payments, big guy. Yeah. Oh no, I liked him a lot. I've got to meet him a few times over the years. I think he's a perfect top bloke. Well, if if I had to choose out of the 3.5 billion boys out there, I would have chosen Tim. Like that, that's how much I respect him. Yeah. He, he's uh, he's an awesome, awesome guy. Perfect for Eva. And a Canadian too, which helps. On top of that, yeah. 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 Awesome. So tomorrow, well today, Yukon. You've just you've been there, haven't you? You've been sheep hunting? I was already up there, yeah. I, I, uh, I came back down after my sheep hunt to go down to California to hunt Columbia, Columbia black-tailed deer. And now nice. I've just, just come home in time to harvest for the last week. Nice. Tomatoes, blackberries, grapes, as I was saying. Garlics. I put all the garlics away yesterday, too. It's good for the soul, isn't it? Oh, it's awesome. I love it. You know, I was thinking about that yesterday as I was doing it. The, the, the cost and time, depending on what you value your, your dollars per hour at, it, it doesn't make sense. No. But that's it's not that's about not dollars. Point. It's not, not the point at all. And people that don't live off the land, whether it's you know hunting, fishing, or hunter-gathering, you know, or just being an agrarian, growing your garden. Yeah. If you don't know that, that uh, you know, it's, I guess it's a it's a flavor that's that's uh, only your soul recognizes. Yeah. So you you can taste something good at a fancy restaurant downtown New York City and pay two thousand dollars for it and Kobe beef or whatever, but your soul doesn't recognize it. No. When when you've grown something or harvested something or or caught something or hunted something. And butchered it up and prepared it yourself, there's a flavor there. And I, I don't know how else to describe it to people, but it, it's not a flavor that your your mouth recognizes, no. but your soul does. I mean, I just got chills because I know, I know exactly what you're talking about, but it's almost impossible to articulate until you take somebody out, they catch a fish, and they cook it. Exactly right. And they eat it. You know, that, you know I, I, my, one of my favorite things to do is take somebody fishing take them to the beach, build a fire, cook it. That process it's, that you can achieve in a couple of hours can exactly, be life-changing yeah. for some people. Yeah. And people that may have an issue with killing animals, even though they eat steaks, yeah. they actually don't have anywhere near somehow a fish isn't an animal. You know, so so, so there, there's some justification in their mind. But once you get them over that little hump, you realize, well, wait a minute. You know, every living creature is an animal yeah. and you're killing it regardless of whether you're the one pulling the trigger, hauling it in, yeah. you know, growing it. it. It doesn't matter. You're, you're part of the process. Yeah. And once you make them part of the process like that, then you open up their mind. I, I call it tubular thinking. Most people nowadays, if you hold your two hands together, make a little tunnel. That's all they see is right down that little hole. They, they can't, you know, they, they, just, they don't get the opportunity for anybody to open up, Get rid of the tube and just look around. A bigger picture. So, so that's it's it's a wondrous thing, and and we talk about it all the time. Hunters recognize it. Fishermen know that. You know, maybe not so much the catch and release guys, but catch and eat guys, and and people that grow, even if they're a rancher, growing you know, sheep, goats, cows, doesn't matter. They're uh, we we recognize it, but the rest of the people out there, 
I feel I feel sad. I feel, feel sad for them. They're they're missing out the the. Food. It's a big part of life. Like this how many millions of years of sure. that connection we had, and now have you know sure. not had it for fifty years, and suddenly it's a weird thing. Yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. And and yet every single person that's alive today is alive as a result of their antecedents and their ancestors being great hunters, being the best hunters, the very best of the best hunters. And and to now denigrate it, you know, th- through this 50 years of urbanization and, and say somehow it was wrong or, or it's, it is wrong, it, it, it's, uh, I mean, it's hypocrisy at best, ignorance at worst. And it's... Yeah. Uh, and at it, the end of the day, you're right, I just genuinely feel sorry for a lot of those people. Like they haven't sat down and thought about it. And it's quite confronting too when you don't have any other options. It's very easy to... Well, imagine if you're sitting in your condo in downtown what, Vancouver. I don't have to imagine. I was there this morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. You live in one. But, but you yeah. know, you, you actually make an effort to get outside of that. Yeah. Those people, most people, and, and once we've urbanized, we've actually removed ourselves from the access to that, yeah. to this outdoors, to the, now we can go on a hike, I guess, and and it's kind of the same. the same. Oh, I know it's not, but they think it is. And they can take a picture, and they, but so so what happens then they, they have to justify their existence. They have to. Yeah. They have to say, no, otherwise what's what's the alternative? Yeah. We're, we're living wrong. Yeah. Well, no one wants to hear that, and no one wants to certainly accept it. it and what you end up with is, is something called cognitive dissonance. Yeah. So cognitive dissonance because they can't they can't allow that the the truth to enter their reality because then they'd realize that their reality is is apathetic and <laughs> yeah. and and really they're they're just lost souls doing being slaves. Yeah, nobody wants to admit that. They can't. No. The cognitive dissonance, they can't. And that that's what we battle as hunters. We're actually trying to show people that that there's a better way. Yeah than what you're living. and they, But they don't have a choice of that better way. We do. you know. And now, you know, to say they don't have a choice, sure they do. You know, get off the grid, get out there. and, and well, It's happening more and more. The, people are trying, yeah, because, because they're recognizing, wait a minute, I, I'm actually indentured to this company in my day. I'm doing my 16 hours and they want me to work weekends and, and I, I don't feel good. You know, I don't. I feel stressed all the time. I, I, you know, my my Starbucks cafe latte on, a, you know, for whatever it is, eighteen bucks, doesn't make me feel good. You know, yeah. but well, Curran, my business partner, is a huge advocate for hunting and outdoors as a remedy for a lot of the, you know, mental depression issues. We've got a massive suicide issue in New Zealand, like higher than a lot of other places around the world, and being out there and hunting and just doing it, I think. It has a resetting effect, for me anyway, and I think for a lot of people it gives people something to concentrate on, gets them out of that concrete jungle and back in touch, even if it's just once a month. It makes I, a big I, difference. I, I'm 100% smart, smart, because yeah. that, that is the cure. It's, it's just, like I say, access to the cure. It, 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 it first takes a, a person to want it, so yeah. desire, to, to actually cure themselves. And they have to recognize that there's a problem Instead of, well, the people that hunt are the problem. Yeah. No, and it's not the people that hunt are the problem. It's funny how that, you know, because, you know, you've got the lion king and everybody's attached to animals and, like, 
that whole <clears throat> that whole story, and we've told it on this podcast a number of times, how people become emotionally attached and they personify animals, and yet fish seem to be a gateway drug to figuring all that out, like as if like Finding Nemo didn't have quite the same effect <clears throat> as The Lion King did, right? And then, yeah, it's a it's a really interesting whole scenario where if you start fishing you sort of figure that out and you discover that um, it must be a, a buried reward system in the brain to make us... Oh, it, it's the deepest. Yeah. It's, it's, it, here, here, I'll put it another way. <clears throat> Excuse me. Every hunter knows the feeling when you walk up to the animal that you've hunted. Yeah. The, the, it's an over... It's not... People say it's an adrenaline or it's... A, no, it's not. It, it, it's, a, it's because you know that your family is going to survive. A, number one, you're going to survive. You've got food. Your family's going to survive. Your your community is going to survive in the old days, tribe. You, you know, you're stronger because of it. So that survival, yeah. you, you're actually touching, you, you're bang on when you say it's it's a something deep inside you that it's an innate, uh, I guess, uh, uh, sense of, but it's survival. You, you recognize yeah. that you've done something that's contributed to your, guaranteeing your future yeah and that's a hard emotion to describe particularly in today's context if you went back 500 years oh, and asked somebody they'd be like why are you happy about this well we're not going to starve to death yeah yes that's in, simple. in modern context like if i don't get a you know a moose in two weeks i'm not going to starve to death but those innate feelings are probably no, still the you, same you, that's not bred out of you in in what 10 generations it's, no it's not absolutely not it, it, it's in all of us. I mean, we were, you know, and, and arguably all hunter-gatherers until 10,000 years ago, depending on your faith, 7,000 yeah. years ago. So it's only been in this last few generations. And you, literally it is few when you're looking in terms of the big picture. Yeah. That you, you just don't change your spots that quickly. You and now you, you can goo it up and, and put cobwebs all over it and shove it into the back corner and go order your... McDonald's hamburger in whatever city you live in. Yeah. But the reward for getting that hamburger in any way, in any way, is the same thing as providing for yourself? It's not. It, it's a meal. Yeah. You, you, you eat it because you have to and you go watch TV or whatever you're doing. Yeah. This Hunters know that uh, we're just closer to, to what we were. I think we're naturalists. That's how I describe hunters as naturalists. That brings me to another point. And we touched on it a bit before the, you know, let's go hiking. And we see it a lot more in in Canada, my partner and I, compared to New Zealand. Like a lot of Canadians in Vancouver, they're, you know, generally where we live in Kitsilano, very fit people, very active people, and they go hiking a lot. But it's all very much on established walking trails. And they think that's great and that's their that's their world and it's in my opinion it's better than nothing at least they're getting out there and seeing some natural beauty hunters understand there's another level to that you go from being and you've said it a lot going from being a voyeur you're on the outside looking in to being actively part of that environment when you and I were traveling a lot together I, I, I've got this distinct memory you won't remember it exactly but you'll probably remember saying it because I know you used to say it to all of us is we were standing in an airport in Chile and we were standing there waiting for another delayed flight, sort of rocking back and forth. We must have been coming back from somewhere in South America, probably Paraguay. Yeah. And you looked at me and you said, Maddie, 
you guys are so screwed. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you're so screwed. You're not going to be able to do this forever. I'm going to burn you out eventually. And then you're going to go and try and re-enter normal life and you're screwed. And I remember saying, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Sort of nodding my head, but really having no idea what you're talking about. So now fast forward, it's been, I don't know how many years since my last trip with you was what, probably the Congo. So that was... Holy cow, was it that long ago? Yeah, it's a while ago now. So that's a long time ago. So I've had, you know, been running my own business since then and guiding and back and forth and all this kind of stuff. But the older I get, the more I start to understand, or at least my perspective on that statement, which was during the period that I was traveling with you, we got to do, as you say, 300 days a year, adventure after adventure after adventure. And all of it's 100% unique and authentic. So now in real life, when we go on holiday, nothing makes me more nauseous or I'm going to go out and say it, I actually get physical anxiety if I find myself in a situation that is inauthentic in the natural world because I feel like I'm cheating and it feels, it it seriously makes me anxious. Like it's really a problem that I have to (laughs) mentally work through. I understand 100 percent you know I, I see these these uh extreme eco tours and, and the people all dressed in the same little colors doing their same little pathway taking a picture of the same elephant or or you know same mountain or same penguin and they're, you know, they're just like a bunch of little sheep it, it's it, here, here's here's a way to look at that or maybe for people listening to understand it better the the you can go on a cruise ship and you can hit 20 countries and one of them can be Zanzibar, and you can say, I visited Zanzibar, you know, because I, I went into Stonetown, and I, I saw where Freddie Mercury was born, and then we went to the all-inclusive. But you were never on Zanzibar. No. All you did was check it off. You have no idea what goes on on Zanzibar. You have to get away from the all-inclusives, from the club meds, and, and actually embed yourself with a culture that lives there that... that you know, to the point where it's not a, you know, imagine a still pool and, and you throw a rock into it. You get ripples and the pool's not still anymore. You have to do that same thing in the culture. You jump in, it's ripples everywhere and people treat you like you're special, you're different until the ripples go away and they realize, no, you're just, now you're part of it. And it, and it's back to that calm water where you you are now looking at the tourists going by on their buses, you know, snapping their pictures and lining up and you know, with the tour guide, I mean, it's it, 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 you, it makes you nauseous. I, I literally like bile yeah. comes up. I, I to th- if I had to do it, I think now back to your original comment, it's better than nothing. Yeah, it's better than nothing. But but to think that you, you, you that I mean, it, it's a holiday, I guess, and and that's fine. You get sunshine, and you read a book, and and uh, you know, I, I don't know. Um, yeah reorganize your brain I guess that's all good I have to I have to compartmentalize it in my brain so I can do those things because my partner loves to travel right but what we're talking about how do you you know throw yourself into a pool wait for the ripples to settle and become one with the locals the only way to do that is hunting it it really is how else do you do it you could you could probably do it without the hunting 
but then you're not being part of who these people are. No. Once you get outside the cities, there's hunting. And, and anybody can paint all the pretty pictures they want of this world, but once you get outside of the cities, there's hunting, regardless of what country it is around the planet. Even where there's no hunting allowed, there's hunting, which is horrible because there's no management of the resources at that point. There's yeah. over-harvesting. That it's, every little antelope is just a hamburger. Yeah. That's a whole other story. But the, the point is you could do it, but you wouldn't really, you're still trying to say you're not part of nature in that way. When, when you go out there, you are part of nature, and you realize we're all part of nature. Yeah. As, as cosmic an event as we think we are, we're actually just part of nature. Maybe we're instruments of nature's change even. Maybe we're supposed to be here to move, you know, elephant grass over here to North America so it takes over, I, I don't know, Asian yeah. carp. Maybe we were supposed to be the ones to bring them over. Maybe nature wants maximum entropy, which it does. And we're just the tool that it uses to affect that change, and then it's going to get rid of us. No different from a bird shitting out a blackberry seed, really. There you go. It's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That, that's, you know, it all depends on your perspective on, yeah. on what's going on. But, but to, to immerse yourself, I don't know how you could do it and be accepted in that culture because it's still going to be ripples the whole time. Yeah. If you're somehow bringing in your judgments, your, your, your predetermined subjective views of what the world should be, into this new culture, they're not going to accept you. You're just a big, you're just, that ripples are going to continue the whole time. You'll never, ever be embedded in that community if you don't accept what they do and, and do what they do. I mean, I still remember moments, you know, even when we'd go to a country, you know, pick one, and we'd be there with the locals and there'd be guides and trackers and can't speak the language, you're, you know, you're the white boys there paying to go hunting, right? So at that point, you know, just ripples. Once you harvested an animal, or there was particularly if there was a little bit of hardship leading up to that point, there's a moment there where everybody speaks the same language. It doesn't matter. Sure. Share, shared hardship. Exactly. For the accomplishment, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I miss that a lot. I really do. Yeah, because then, then you're accepted. Once they realize that, oh, okay, these guys are willing to get their hands dirty. They know what they're doing. They appreciate, they respect, they revere this animal. There's a spiritual connection with the animal, just like we have. You're you're an accepted member of their community at that point. Yeah. Ripples go away. You're you're in, you're in, and and all the people driving by in the tour bus going on the tours, you know, down to the club med, even if, even like a place like Zanzibar. I mean, yeah. the, the interface between the real culture of Zanzibar and the tourism culture, there isn't one. Yeah. It's never the twain shall meet, and and so once you're on the other side of that, looking at it, you see what these people feel like. It's like, uh, um, I'm sorry, it's it's like a disease when you see the, you know the little fleas running everywhere and doing these things that they can't do and 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 not even appreciating that this isn't their house. They're doing these things in someone else's house. It, it, it gives you the travel that we did. We it was unreal. That was unreal. That's exactly right. It's not a probably will never happen again. Honestly, the way we did it. The, the world's changing. Yeah, it's changing. It changed, really, since we were doing it already. Well, we wouldn't go back to many of the places we were. No. Uh, there's just no way you would. The, um, me and Anna did a trip to the Philippines. Mm. One of the reasons we did the Philippines is it wasn't touristy, touristy yet, particularly coming from our side of the world. Mm -hmm. And we'd, we were there for three weeks. First week or so, we were very much alone, not another sort of tourist in sight. You know, it was good, intrepid travel as much as it can be. 
And then we bumped up against an area that was a very touristy spot for Chinese and Korean tourists. And like, you'll laugh. We pulled up. We figured out that if we went on a tour boat, then you just get put in with 500 other people. None of them can swim, so they wear these three sizes too big, bright orange life jackets. The locals call them ninja turtles because from <laughs> underneath the water, you look up and they're on the surface and their head's just sort of poking out the, the knob. So we thought, okay, that was not fun. We're not doing that. Figured out that for not a lot of more money, we could hire our own boat mm-hmm. and then tell the captain to go in the opposite direction of all the other tourists. So at some point during the day, you would pass them. So one of the stops that you'd do, you would have to deal with the tourists. And we ended up stopping at this place. It was called Secret Lagoon. And we came around the corner in our boat. And up to that point, we hadn't seen another living soul. Everything was beautiful. Come around the corner and here's 15 other boats or 20 other boats. So there was no people, right? And this is Lost Lagoon. And you go in there and you swim through this gap. And you actually pop up on an inland lagoon, like beautiful beautiful right so we get in there and we swim in and we pop up i'll never forget it i popped up and there would have been 300 people in there secret lost lagoon secret lagoon <laughs> just screaming at the top of their lungs just they were so excited and exhilarated by the outdoors they were just it was like a justin bieber concert and a bunch of 15 year old girls like everyone was just like screaming and there were drones flying around and crashing into each other and people with selfie sticks swinging around and smacking <laughs> each other in the head and cameras and stuff everywhere and Anna looked at me because she knows that I, I struggle yeah. <laughs> she, so she looked at me and I was just like we like literally need to get a photo so we pushed all the way to the front got to the furthest most point of the lagoon and climbed up a little bit and had a GoPro and got a selfie with like literally you know 300 Intrepid travellers and lost lagoon behind us. Yeah, well, welcome to ecotourism. Yeah, like no it's, kidding. It's, uh, it, the footprint of that has actually been proven to be far greater and, and a factor of like a hundred to one yeah. to one hunter. To one hunter. You know, you know, and I don't know how. I don't know what the solution is. Here, here's the here, the root problem: is there's seven point five billion of us on this planet right now. Yeah. Seven point five billion. So we can't tell people to not go to Secret Lost Lagoon and, and enjoy themselves. You really can't. And I think it's great. Wonderful. Go do it. But I think if you ask the Secret Lost Lagoon, it probably feels a little violated. Yeah. You know, it, to be fair, you could only go to five lagoons. Boat drivers wouldn't take you anywhere else. Yeah, okay. So they're, so they're, they're minimizing impact by sending you to the same spots. So Lost Lagoon is taking one for the team. Yeah. Big time. I think in cancer terms, it's called they're not letting you metastasize. <laughs> yeah. So, so, exactly. so, but you know, which is great. All credit to the to the locals, but, but you don't, you don't want to be on that side of the the window no, pane. Don't. You want to be on the other side. You know, you want to be the person that gets to go with the locals to the other lagoons. And the only way you can do that is if you're accepted member of their community, which means you have to be a hunter. Yeah. And and guaranteed in the Philippines, they're hunting. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Bearded pigs. I'm sure there's that's cool. Most deer. Yeah, it would be. I, I mean, I'd love to go there. It's such an awesome place. You'd appreciate this. My favorite thing about that trip, and this is way off topic, but favorite trip about that trip is we ended up in some diving resort, sort of off the beaten track, and it was out of peak season, so we were the only people there, and they were training a new guy to be the dive instructor, and I love to scuba dive. It's one of my favorite things to do. 
and in that particular area was one of the last stands of one of the Japanese admirals from World War Two, who after the Japanese surrendered, he just said, Niet, no surrender, I'm going to keep fighting. So the Americans basically barricaded him in there and just shelled the shit out of him until they sunk his whole fleet. So there's a sunk Japanese boat, warship, in nearly every bay. And we dived on this one that was relatively deep. It was about 25 metres, and it was a, a, a carrier. And it had taken shells through the main deck, and you swam in the arse end of it and swam through what basically was a cargo hold. And in there, there were jeeps and tanks and everything still stropped down, chained down to the floor on either side. And then you had these um, the bullet holes, crater holes yeah. giant bullet holes is what they look like. So bent inwards from where these shells had hit from the top and you got to swim right through there. It was awesome. Yeah, um, it's just like so walking good. back in, in history. It was so spooky. Yeah. Like well, so it spooky. Put, puts it in perspective, right? Put starts to put history into perspective. Yeah. When you see that. I mean I'm not a I'm not a scuba diver and I have stayed away from it for very good reason because I'd I'd be the wolf of the sea. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And and you can't be a wolf on land and, and on sea yeah. in one lifetime. But if I get reincarnated I'm coming back as a scuba diver all and then yeah. love to see all the parts of the world that I haven't seen except from the surface. Yeah. Now snorkeling, yeah, but not. It would be that would be pretty cool. Yeah, it was cool. Anyway, speaking of cool things, and that opening took a little bit longer than I expected. That's fine. That's the um, opening. I thought you were about to say yeah. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> I, I've got three pages of notes because the last thing I wanted three to, pages. Last thing I wanted to do was sit here and be like, oh hey, I don't I don't know if that would ever happen, but. Um, I've got a few places here. I, I I understand that because you've been doing it for so long and there's been so many Maddies, more me, Todd's, who's your current guy? Maddies? Maddie. Matty. Oh, Matt, Matty's. Me, yeah. It, remember, you're here in North America, so it's <laughs> Matty, not Maddie. Come through the system that you, it probably all meshes into one. So some of the ones that were big game changers for me when we started traveling together, the first really big one was relatively early in my sort of international filming career was Uganda. Do you remember that one? I sure do. And we did the Sisi Islands. I do. Yeah. So it was is it was very it was awesome for me because for two things. Firstly, it really opened my eyes to the sort of more the adventure side of it because previous to that we were in South Africa or yeah, something yeah. pretty and pretty standard pretty standard sort of stuff. And then we went there, and it went from like. You know, Louise and Eva were there. It was, you know, safaris and, you know, pretty... I was used to that kind of hunting from New Zealand. You know, the lodges and the, you know, everything's sort of catered for. And, you you know, you turn your back for five minutes and all your undies are folded, like that kind of hunt. And then we went from there to... I think we went to Lake Albert and then we flew to the Cecil Islands. And that was like a massive flip on, you know, what I'd experienced up to that point. Um, and then we did that hunt for what was a Sissy Island, Sitatonga. Sitatonga, yeah. So that led to the second big change for me is when I suddenly started to understand, like boots on the ground understand, what regulated trophy hunting, so ethical, regulated, monitored trophy hunting had the potential to do on a conservation front and how practical and effective it could be. You remember that hunt? I absolutely do, yeah. 
I mean, many, you know, and I had many takeaways from that hunt as well. The you know, that was when biofuels fuels were just starting yeah, to that's right. the be a palm thing. Oil. Palm oil. They, they, they so they essentially raped the entire Sesi Island archipelago and planted a monoculture of, of palm trees on it. Other other than on the riverine habitat, the swampy areas where they couldn't do it, where the Sitatunga live, fortunately. Yeah. But but you know, I remember eating the. Uh, the only good thing was when the palms fell down, rotted, was eating the the big maggots that were in them. Those yeah, big so for Kiwi listeners, they look exactly like hoo-hoo grubs. Yeah, there you go. And they're not they're not maggots because they don't eat meat, no, but they eat grub. Yeah, they're yeah. A grub. Yeah, and they they're they were fabulous. I mean, I I I was more interested in that than the actual Sudatunga. Uh, yeah, they personally. had uh, more of a like our hoo-hoo grubs at home. They've got more of a peanut butter aftertaste. I distinctly remember them having more of a turpentine aftertaste. I was going to say gasoline mixed with, <laughs> mixed with, with a little bit of honey you know, added yeah. in. They, yeah. were, they were awesome. It's all coming back to me. Do you remember, because um, we, well, we were the first legal hunters there. And I think I think James Mellon was the only other one that's ever, or had ever legitimately successfully hunted a Sitatunga, Sassy Island Sitatunga, and that was back in the 60s. Yeah, I was going to say that would have been 50 years prior. Yeah, exactly. We, we were the first ones. We were with Corey Knowlton on that trip. First time I ever met Corey Knowlton. Yeah. I, I remember standing on a, a machan, you know, a, basically a bamboo. Uh, <laughs> Designed for a couple of guys that maybe weighed 100 pounds. Yeah, at it. the most, you know, and, and then that not being high enough, so I had a five-gallon bucket that, that we were supposed to sit on. That was our, you know, and, and I, to get height, I had to stand on the five-gallon bucket upside down to, well, not me stand up, so the bucket upside down. And, and that gave me the elevation to be able to look down into the grass a little further and standing for hours, yeah, hours. And, and I also remember sitting on, on another machine and having, you know, like literally counting over 100 mosquitoes eating on my, my legs, 100 at a time. And, and thinking, oh man, if if you're going to get malaria, this is the place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what. The worst thing about that machine, I don't know if you remember the the one that they built out on that swamp that was, as I said, designed for a couple of small little yeah. dudes, not me and you, plus 150 pounds of camera gear. Yeah. You know, climbed up there, and we were, you were standing on that bucket. And I remember looking across, and we got dropped off in a dugout canoe, so mm-hmm. a log with a hole in it, which again, not designed for. No, a center of gravity higher than five feet. <laughs> yeah, it's no. leaking like a sieve. Like yeah. you got two guys paddling, one guy bailing, and me and you sitting there, sort of yeah. with our fingers as crossed, as still as we could be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Keep that center of gravity exactly in the middle. Got dropped off, but it was all sort of swampy, and you know, it's that swamp that you stand on. It sinks down, and it's deep underneath. And we climb up there, and we get sorted, and it's sort of teetering. And after a couple of hours, do you remember that crocodile? Uh, you know, I I try and keep things like crocodiles <laughs> in a dark place. Like find a happy place. I I like I, I honestly just compartmentalize that. I keep still it. Remember, up. I remember seeing it, turning the camera on, filming, and then poking you and me like, Jim, it's a crocodile. And you said, it's not a very big one. And then it came up, and yeah. you were like, ooh, that's a really big one. <laughs> yeah, when, when they're nine inches between the yeah, eyes, yeah. That, that's, they don't look big when that's all you're seeing. Yeah, until and, they pop up. You're like, yeah, oh. and then you see the whole back hanging out there. And then you just, feet. just sink back down, right, exactly where we'd come in. And we knew yeah. the guys were coming in after dark to pick us up. And your lizard brain's going, this is not a place you want to be. No. They're every, every, well, that's the thing. Every one of your 
you're the result, as we said earlier, of, of the best hunters that ever existed. That's why we're here today, because they were the best. Yeah. They are telling you from that many generations ago, <laughs> this is not a good place to be, and you, you shouldn't be here. And, and you know, the survival of yourself and your family and your, your clan, you may want to rethink that and go, you know, find yourself a, a warthog. You know, <laughs> forget the city and city of Tunga and, yeah. and go, go find something that's not so dangerous if you want to survive for, you know, generations to come. Yeah. That was a really, really interesting hunt. I uh, will never forget that one. And then from there, it was sort of, I guess that was sort of my uh, field testing. And then Todd threw himself off a mountain, so then I got inherited all the mountain hunts, which <laughs> in hindsight yeah. was both a, a yeah, blessing you, and a curse. Yeah, you, you, you get one chance with me. Yeah. And, and if you blow the one chance, which Todd did on the mountain. So I don't know if, if he jumped off that cliff like a lemming on purpose, <laughs> just so he'd never have to do another mountain hunt. But uh, he, he probably could have picked a smaller bank. Yeah, he probably could have, and, and he would have had the same effect. You yeah. know, just even if, he, even if he tripped a couple times and, and fell and almost broke the camera, I would have still gonged him. But uh, you know, there's, there's people that are, are, I guess, predispositioned to climbing mountains. You guys, I mean, Sir Edmund Hillary, the blood runs through your courses through all of your veins down there. Yeah. So, you know, I was happy to replace Todd with, with you for the mountain hunts. Uh, and, and far more, you know, part of my job is to bring you young guys back, you know, almost perfect. Almost perfect. Yeah, you know, maybe hopefully a little wiser, but uh, <laughs> physically almost perfect. And, and I, you know, so, so I, like I say, you get one chance. When you show me that you can't do something, then you're not getting a second chance. Yeah. And, and, uh, which is good. It worked out. We, I mean, we got to climb all kinds of crazy mountains. Yeah, we did. I think the first big one we did was Azerbaijan. I got to go there again with Corey a few years later. It was an awesome place. I'll go back there in a heartbeat. Yeah. I remember I, I counted 36 different species of wildflowers. Yeah, I remember uh, that. Uh, I uh, had to uh, take a photo of every single yeah. one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, you know, because it, to me, that's just as important yeah. as, as getting the uh, tour. I think it was the, the Dagestan tour, the Mid-Eastern or uh, Mid Eastern, yeah, tour, yeah. Eastern tour. So, so it, it, uh, but you know, the flowers are just as important. Flora is just as important as fauna to me. When I'm, I, I wish I knew more about plants. I know, I, you know, I, I appreciate them. I just don't have the science behind me. I actually, learned a bit. I mean, a 22 year old Maddie at that point thought he was pretty tough until you saw the local guys, yeah, doing those mountains in gumboots. Yeah. Do you remember who were way up there? And we had that camp, and it was so they sort of was a semi permanent. There was a rock sort of wall yeah, there where we ate, and then a and a tarp, and then we had tents. And me and you were sort of up there, and we're, you know, we're looking around. Where juice are they getting their water from? Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Next morning, I was up filming a sunrise, and I heard this funny noise. And we had taken a whole day to walk up the ridge to get to where we were, which is sort of yeah, you know, two thirds yeah. of the yeah, way up the mountain. The horses were way back. Yeah, and. So we got to that point, but, you know, we're on a ridge, so you could still go straight down into the creek. And I look over the side, and here come these two guys carrying 20-litre containers of water on their shoulders in their gumboots, getting to the top, conversating like they were just out, walking out to get a coffee. And I was like, oh, that's where they're getting their water from. And this is before, you know, they assume we're even out of bed yet. You know, they're, you know, most of their clients would probably still be in bed for another hour before 
you know, little do they know they haven't met Jim yeah, Shockey that's, yet. That's, but. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Let's eat because it's going to be light and, and we have to be on the mountain hunting. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, If I'd have known that they were doing that, I would have sent them up for ice as well. So not just down for water, exactly. but up, up for, for ice on the glaciers. <laughs> yeah. hey, look at you, son of a gun. We're going we're gonna to beat you down to our level of, of, of physical training. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that well. I remember that was one of the few hunts where I've been roped up to, uh, yep, to anybody. That that's you know, just. Yeah, it's deep, Jesus steep, 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 steep. And, and it was a grass slope, which was quite surprising to me that, you know, I would think any grass slope I can crawl up. And, and you can, but you had to use their walking sticks. Remember, we had to, they yeah, held them a different, sticks. yeah, they lean them into the hill as yeah. opposed to using them like a, like a walking yeah, cane. So you can lean across the 45. Yeah, exactly. So you're tighter and, and that's your, that point sticking into the soft yeah. turf. But But it's just as dangerous. You start going there, you're not stopping. Yeah, a lot yeah. of shepherds use those in the high country in New Zealand. That, that's that the stuff. other place I've seen them, actually. Yeah, yeah. First time I saw that, I go, "What a weirdo, you guys, you <laughs> New Zealanders!" And, and then I had to revisit the idea that, well, on, on the second thought, you know, they're they're climbing all the mountains down there and climbing <laughs> Everest first. Maybe, maybe they know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember? It's, it's funny how things come back to me. Do you remember that first time I went to Azerbaijan with you? So I was still relatively fresh, and we were staying in a. Hotel in Baku, I think, is that? Baku, the, yeah. Staying in a hotel. Do you remember there was uh, the special forces police guys turned up on our balcony at like yeah, three in the morning? Do yeah, you I do. That? I absolutely do. That that was one of the most disconcerting moments I've had traveling around the world. And it wasn't, you know, hippo charging me out of the underbrush. I can deal with that. But when you, when you wake up and there's three guys on the, on the fire escape outside your window looking in trying to see what's in your room and then you go well that's not a good thing and you get up and look out the little people in the door and you see three more guys on the door side yeah. and, and they're obviously serious dudes they gunned up like yeah. and go oh this is not good and i, I as i remember it we we made waited sleep in the lobby <laughs> yeah i made us sleep in the lobby because i didn't know what the hell was going yeah. on I, whatever it was wasn't good and Regardless of whether they're coming to, they were coming us. to. A, I remember because Reza figured it out. The our guide, they were extracting someone, but they had the wrong floor. Had the wrong floor, and it doesn't matter if you're you know extracting the wrong guy. Yeah. If you're the wrong guy, you're the wrong guy. You're still you know you're dead, yeah. uh, or whatever. You end up and and you know what? Once you get abducted and they're out there somewhere, it, it, how long do you think it's going to take you to convince some guys that don't speak? You know, I don't speak Azerbaijani. You can't tell them, oh, I'm not the right person. Yeah, Maddie's the right guy. Yeah, yeah. And they get a hold of your passport and be like, oh, I see you've been to yeah, 75 yeah. other places yeah, in the last yeah. year. Yeah, exactly. So who are you? Yeah. So, so Explain it, that. Either way is a bad deal. So so it's, uh, as I remember, they, they left us a little bit of an opening to get out the front door and we went right down to the lobby and sat there for the I still for the remember Reza's face coming in the next morning to pick us up. And we're, right. we're sitting there with no bags, big bags <laughs> under our eyes like... Yeah. Reza, you didn't pick a great hotel, buddy. Why? Yeah. <laughs> well, I still see him every year. He's, you know, the, he's such all a those nice guy. those missing missing tourists, you know, that were supposedly just normal tourists. Well, they stayed here too, and they're gone from here. Yeah, no I mean, you know, there's a case of if we were sat in the room and let that develop, and we would have got abducted, then what? You, you, like I say, you can't convince them later, and you get so many layers of goo between you and whoever makes the final decision, say, you clowns, you got the wrong guy in the wrong room yeah. or wrong guys, you know, and then what? They're going to admit it? Yeah. No, they're going to, you know, phone around and find out that, you know, Maddie Gibson's 
you know, girlfriend is going to send a million bucks to save them. Yeah. My wife wouldn't have sent five cents, so they'd have just killed me. <laughs> but you actually had a, a had a chance of surviving. Yeah, a, a, assuming an that there outside was, chance of surviving, given that it was like my third international trip ever. I think I think I would have been slightly out of my depth. I and mean, I like, think your girlfriend gonged you just before the trip, anyway, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, probably pretty pretty close. I tended to get gonged pretty often in those days. Well, if you're going to travel 300 <laughs> days a year, huh? Yeah, yeah. That You're exactly the kind of guy I want to marry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It sounds very intrepid and adventurous. Past about 24 hours, not oh, so much. And, and, and on top of that, you're only making $1 an hour, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't have many overheads. Why? Because I don't have a home. <laughs> yeah, so I have no fixed address. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another favorite of mine, Mongolia. You remember that one? Uh, both do. times both times you were camera on both trips eh? both trips so we okay. did Argali sheep times three Gobi Hungai yep Altai yep all three Ibex times two yep Gobi Mongolian or Gobi and the uh, Altai. Altai yep some bloody gazelle yeah we did the black tail and the white tail gazelle oh yeah there was two and, gazelles were yeah. there and roebuck Siberian roebuck and wolf European wolf or Asian wolf. Asian wolf. That's a pretty big safari. Because we didn't get the Altai the first time we first went there. We, 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 had a, we had a one that was 50 inches, but it was a young 50-incher, uh, right. not broomed or anything, and, and I turned it down. Yeah. Knowing that it's going to cost a fortune to, to come back. To come back. So you either shoot and, and then have, you know, kind of look at your own shame for the rest of your life, yeah. or you, know, you just say, okay, it's it's hunting. You know, it's not shopping, so you're, you know, because they don't have grade A beef, you're going to, you, yeah, if you're going to buy a hamburger, you buy grade B because that's what's there. Yeah. Hunting's different. You know, that, that we set a goal to get a, a decent old ram, which is what trophy hunting is about. Yeah. I mean, technically trophy is, is a a memory of a, an event or an accomplishment. Yeah. So, you know, we, we set a goal that would... Yeah, I mean it's biologically defensible. They're beyond breeding age, and and we didn't see that. No. So you come you, on back. Yeah, you, you tell your son and daughter, yeah, I'm going to have to spend the rest of your inheritance to go back there someday. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't. It was the following year. We were. I yeah, it was a year f- later. Didn't feel like we'd been gone very long when we got back into that camp. No, Ula and Batar hadn't changed a whole bunch, and, oh, no, and the roads certainly the Gobi Desert was just as long. <laughs> Forty six hours or whatever it was it's in the Russian crazy, jeep. Crazy! They just like they've got paved roads, but no traffic laws in Ula and Batar. But as soon as you get outside of town, there's, there's no there's no roads. There's no roads. It's just a pick a direction and yeah, and it, and it's just it's literally sheep trails or nomadic herder trails yeah. that go across all of Mongolia. Yeah. There was no roads. It, it was bizarre and no signs. I never saw a sign. Yet I don't know if they were, they were dead reckoning and, and using no, the stars. Or, it's so weird. Yeah. And they just, they put on that music that yeah. I never want to hear again Wait. in my whole life. <laughs> you, you know, if I hear that music anywhere around the world, <laughs> it's, in, it's just like... It's like back in the yeah, someone's hitting you with 60,000 volts. It's like, yeah. boom, you're right back in that place. I mean, it's and it's an eerie, beautiful music, actually. You know, in spite of the fact that passes we, the time, yeah, and and it, yeah, it's like it, it kind of puts you in a in a trance. Uh, I, I don't know if it's a good trance, but it's a lot better trance than actually being awake 
in that Jeep, Russian Jeep, <laughs> which, by the way, Russia, if anybody's listening, you guys, there's something called suspension. Yeah. Go look it up. And, and, and more than five feet of headspace. <laughs> <laughs> you were right. You got to sit in the front. I, yeah. I had to sit in the back like a big yeah, you're, you're, pocket knife. You were jammed in the back. Yeah. I, my, but I don't think my seat went back. Did it go back? I can't remember. No, I can't. It was horrible. Did you I, to put it back? The, the Russian Jeeps, and here's another thing, Russians, anyone who's working on Jeeps over there, there is a better way to heat the cab of a Jeep than, than running the exhaust pipe inside the actual Jeep. I mean, yeah, the exhaust is great. It's warm, but it kills you. You have your windows open, so it defeats the purpose. It's like, I've never seen that. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, this, that's how they heated it. But a carbon dioxide never yeah, hit no, anyone. It's fine. Open the windows. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Open window. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, that's, and that's everywhere, right? That's... that's uh, I mean, there's, I guess, less things to go wrong. You don't ever have to worry about your heater breaking down or a fan, anything like that. Do you remember that guy in, we're jumping continents now, but that Kinchaka bear hunt that we did, and we got on that MI-8 helicopter, the ones that got big exhaust yeah, marks and the Symes, and, and uh, we were sitting there with those fuel drums. They made a sign of form in Russia, which <laughs> evidently meant we don't mind if you transport fuel in with us. So they rolled those fuel drums across the tarmac, and there was just petrol pissing out of both ends because they're all rusty and corroded. And they roll them, which onto, was also like the helicopter. Yeah, roll them onto the helicopter, and then they put towels around the bottom of them to stop the fuel <laughs> running around in the bottom of the <laughs> helicopter. And then that guy comes walking across the tarmac, just smoking a dari, just like, <laughs> and he's trying to smoke it before he gets to the cab. No, he was trying to smoke it. He was trying to finish cigarettes so he could get his beer finished as well yeah, yeah. before he got to the... <laughs> and he gets there and went, who the hell is this guy? And we're going, whoa, 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 whoa. And he kind of stops just short of the helicopter with a look of disdain and like stops at his cigarette and gets onto the helicopter. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? And he goes, okay, safety fucking briefing. <laughs> <laughs> it was the yeah, pilot. Yeah. I just blew my mind. Yeah, welcome to Russia. Yeah. Welcome to Russia. I, I spent so much time on those mill eights since then. Oh. It's it's uh, crazy. I mean, they, they fly. I mean, yeah, they, they keep, do. They keep going. Keep on going just like a beaver, I guess. They're yeah, just exactly. Just a workhorse. They were about the same age, 1950s, and yeah. they're still, still. <laughs> do you remember? <laughs> we were sitting there, we are looking at each other, and they've got like those portal windows that mm -hmm. you'd see on a boat that you can open. And so I had one open, and I'd stick my hand out the window with a hand, handycam to film, right? And I, was, I remember I was looking across at you at, and you had a window on your side and there's something went past the window and I sort of went like this and everybody looked at me like, what? And I'm like, I don't know, something just flew past and you're like, that's ridiculous. There's no, no birds up here at this time here. I'm just like, yeah. whatever. Good flying along. Next minute I stick my thing, hand out the window with my video camera and I'm looking at the screen and I distinctly see a hand come out of the cockpit and they were smashing 440 cans of beer yeah. and just tossing the cans as they were flying, the two pilots up yeah. the front. Yeah. So Welcome special. to Russia. Yeah. Yeah, there's no FAA, FAA, FFA over there, FAA. No. So it's a, uh, it's it's the Wild West. I love Russia. I, I personally love it. I think it's like walking back in time 100 years in North America. You know, there's some freedoms, or there's a lot of freedoms, and, and you're kind of uh, regulated only by your own ethics, morality, and, and ability. Especially when you get out that far. Yeah, that far. There's nothing. And and, and because of the, uh, Glasnost and whatnot, the, the curtain coming down, everybody that was out there because of communism, they had to they had to subsidize any communities out in the outlands. Yeah. 
because there's there's nothing for them to make a living doing what and the cost of you know try and truck a log from the far east of Russia eight time zones to Moscow I mean it's, there, there just is no make sense uh, economics in it so they subsidized it well once the wall came down everybody moved out of those places I yeah. mean essentially you were in you know it was a form of purgatory you know, living well, it gets a whole new, everyone says get sent to Siberia like it's become sort of almost popular culture to say that but until you've flown 11 hours across Siberia from one side of the country to the other it, it doesn't really have any meaning until you've looked out the window and just looked at frozen tundra oh, that I, never ends yeah it's forever That's a, the world's a big place and Russia is a big part of the world yeah. Like I say, I, I love it. I, I think it's, uh, I'd go back there in a heartbeat. You know what, there was a couple of trips that you did not long after I left, like those sheep on the coast on that peninsula looked like spectacular hunts. Yeah, we did a 40, it was 48 days door to door. This was Matt Zanil, another Matty. And he uh, cut his teeth on that hunt, didn't he? Uh, no, he, his, his first trip was Pakistan. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Single swim. Uh, yeah, sorry, what's, what's your name? Yeah. Uh, Matty Zanil. Great. We're going to Pakistan. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. He, he didn't get something so cushy as a 48-day backpack hunt in Russia. Yeah, yeah. No, that looked real cushy. No, it was, it was tough. We we did it a couple times. We um, There was the 48-day door-to-door trip over there, backpacking 43 days. And there was also, we went back and took mill eights up the, uh, from Petropavlov all the way up the Kamchatka Peninsula, hunted Kamchatka Bighorn, and then the uh, uh, Koryak Bighorn on the north end of the peninsula, and then went to Chakotka province to the coast. So literally we're looking right wow. across at Anchorage, and, and we're hunting uh, the Pacific walrus there. First people that I know of from the west that have ever hunted those walrus. It was, uh, I mean, you're so far east, you're actually west. I guess there's, you know, the... the yeah, well, there's a reason that the U.S. claimed Alaska. Like, it's the quickest way to get across. Right there. across, yeah. And the, the Aleutians come right it's out. halfway there, isn't it? Yeah. Basically, yeah. up two-thirds. You're actually, when you're hunting on the Aleutian Islands, Atka or Umnak, you're uh, just as close to Russia as you are to, to uh, Anchorage. Yeah. And the Aleutians still go further towards the west, towards Russia. Yeah, that's a wild place. I got to go there a couple of times. Yeah, did you get to go to the Lucians? Yeah, I filmed. I just did not with you, but I just did a couple of filming stints for Dan. Okay, out there. So yeah, I, beautiful. I, I say it's one of the most beautiful places in the world that nobody ever gets to see. Yeah, like a handful. It's funny. I've got one of the guides just randomly that was on what was the main where the lodge was. Uh, uh, well, it depends. You were probably on Umnak. Umnak. Yeah. One of the guys, the local guys that was sort of a guide, helper guy there. I've got him on Instagram. Oh, cool. So I see he posts photos all the time of, you know, just casual photos. As here's me and my girlfriend drinking some beers. But then you've got this volcano and a, you yeah. know, giant rainbow and a cloud that most cameramen would give their left arm to take photos of just casually in the background. Yeah, it's and, just and such it's, a it's like the, place. the sunlight is always that magic hour that you get right at sunset or sunrise. Yeah. It's like all day long. And I don't know why that is that the sun, the light is so diffuse, but it, maybe because it's smoke from volcanoes, I don't know. Yeah. It probably is, but it, it, it uh, yeah, I mean, it's disconcerting. You, you sit there with a, with a volcano bubbling well, and belching You're so far out, you. right? Like everybody's like, oh, wow, deadliest catch guys, they're so far out there. And, but no, you they're Dutch Harbor. There, yeah, stop <laughs> there to refuel before you, before <laughs> yeah. you take a, no. a whole shot at what you hope will be a weather window so you can land. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. And, and usually the island is... It's it's like those 
forbidden islands that you what's what's that uh, Jurassic Park? Yeah, it's all shrouded in fog. Nobody even knows about it, and you go poof into the fog. Yeah, and, and hope that it, you know, yeah, over top of land, it's gonna. Like one trip with you, we tried twice, and then had to go back to that all the way back. Yeah, and it's a long way to go. And yeah. when we finally did land, like we came into the island, it was the first time I'd landed there, and it was bumpy to the point where I was filming with my handy cam and I needed a new battery and I had it strapped in the seat across from me and we're in a, a beach craft aren't they? Yep. yeah so it's not a big reach but it was the turbulence was that bad I physically couldn't reach across to get my battery so alright we'll ride it on the flinking red why not that's my that's my game anyway so I'm filming <laughs> you're, like this. you're lucky that I didn't see that yeah. I wasn't there otherwise you'd have been flick the camera around and the poor bugger that was sitting at the back was one of the clients and he was holding on to the holy shit handles so he had his arms looped around both the armrests mm-hmm. and we were hitting so hard his seat came unclipped because you can take those seats out and it evidently wasn't clipped in properly so on a pocket that we hit it came unclipped and he hit the roof strapped into his seat <laughs> and then landed in the aisle between us still attached to his seat all the while we're trying to land and we came in and the plane listed to the left sure yeah, I was back trying to come yeah. in now and then, you know, this grass, there's the airstrip fleeting and then grass again. And he pulled out and then he turned again. And just as you turn, there's a crashed plane at the end of the yeah, runway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. which doesn't do your confidence any good. And he comes over the mic nonchalantly. Oh, got a bit of a gust there. We'll, I think we'll have another go. And everybody on the plane was like, it's all good. I don't want to, <laughs> you know, one guy on the back's like, I don't, I don't want to shoot a reindeer that bad. You know, and we eventually loop around and land. It's the first time I've seen like grown men get out of the plane and kiss, kiss the, the ground, ground yeah. and, you know, give each other hugs and stuff just purely because we got to land in the plane. Sure. And that, that you know, again, it, it puts perspective when you're on airplanes, you're flying whatever to Toronto, to Auckland, and, yeah. and they're, you hit turbulence. And I mean, in the past, until you fly those airplanes like you did, the, like you think that's turbulence on the big jet. Yeah. That's not turbulence. I'm sleeping this like a baby. Everybody else is white knuckling it. So yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll be right. Yeah, I think we're going to be okay. Sure. Because, and, and you know what? It, it's, it gets rid of stress because you, you never really know what you're capable of or you don't know the, the parameters. You don't know the envelope that we all live in. So, so we tend to live way within the confines of that and never never ever reach the edges of what we're capable of yeah. and and that's the same thing for machines or but you don't know all that unless you're you have the experiences yeah. and it's a point too you, you learn to understand when you're letting go and putting your faith in somebody else for the moment you showed your boarding pass walked up the gang ramp and that door closed your life is theirs you've got absolutely no control on it yeah. turbulence be gone it doesn't actually matter so at that point you know i may have made over the years conscious decisions to remove worry and stress as much as i can from stuff that i just know that yeah it's out of your hands it's completely and, out and of you, hands. you the thing is you made the choice you, the instant you hand over that boarding pass you made the choice to hand over your life yeah and put it in somebody else's hands and and you know objective dangers it, it the pilot may be the best in the world and perfect no human error and and you know, a, a bird flies through the windshield and, you know, kills a pilot. Well, you made the choice to get on the airplane. Just accept that those are, that that could be the result in the, in the end. You don't know. You don't know. And, and so why stress about it? In fact, you know, enjoy it because, you, you know, you know how it ends yeah. when you're headed towards the ground at 
Mach 10. Exactly. You know, it, you actually know most people don't. They sit there in this, live in the unknown and worried about what the end is or, or what could happen. Actually, what happens, there's a saying that I have, if you spend your whole life sitting at home worrying about what might happen, nothing ever will. Yeah. You actually want things to happen because it's the only way you, you learn, you grow, you yeah, well, you, you can learn, become yourself. Learn through failure, don't you? You do. Yeah. I mean, it's it'd be nice if my cameraman would not learn so many times through failure <laughs> and, and take so many times to to learn what through failure. That? What did um, old, oh, my mind's gone blank, uh, guided England through World War Two, Sir Winston Churchill, say about failure? Failure is a, success is the ability to go from failure to failure without diminished capacity for enthusiasm or something along those lines. Or a Yeah, to paraphrase, yeah. yeah. He, he's a great, great man with... Most unbelievable quotes. The, the, uh, I've got his top ten on my phone. I read them all the time. Yeah, it's, they're yeah, just it's, fantastic. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant man. I love reading his books. I, I just always have to have my phone ready to tell me what the words are. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> eh? yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what excoriate. What does that mean? Yeah. You got to look up every second word when he's when you're reading his his works. Terrific. Yeah, I love Churchill. Yeah, he's a great dude. Do you have a favorite failure? That you learned the most from, I, you know, I, th- no one's. That's a, that's the first time anybody's ever asked me that, and I, and I, yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I, I honestly can't think of a failure. I mean, I, I, there's races I didn't win when I was swimming that I would have liked to have won. There's, you know, uh, shots when I played for Canada for water polo that that I know I was capable of making and and for whatever reason, you know, didn't get the goal and lost the game. Um, there's many, many hunts where I didn't get the animal. But I, I honestly don't think there's a single time I failed because there's not one of those times that uh, there's nothing I've ever done in my life that I haven't been all in doing well, you, my best. Your personality is you've got no quit in you, period. Like, there's just no quit in you. So well, and, at that point, where do you fail? Well, you can't. You can't. That, that's why I say like that's a, it's a crazy question it's a legitimate question, but I, I don't failed what? Like, how how could you fail if you've learned, you tried your best? Where's the failure in that? There's See, no there's failure. the crux of it. It's how you frame it, right? So if every quote end quote through the you know the accepted definition of failure was a failure, but if you frame that as a worthwhile learning experience, which is going to get to where you want to be, then it's not actually a failure through the classical definition. It's just yeah. Part of the road to success, which is yeah, yeah, we, 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 yeah. I don't, yeah. I guess, I mean, I've, like I say, I have to really think about that because I, I uh, and and it sounds probably like arrogance and uh, and and overconfidence, or I don't know what you call it, self confidence. But I, I don't, I, you know, I, I've, I, I can't think of a failure. <laughs> no I, one's ever asked you that before. No, no one's ever asked that because I. Cause I I mean, I've not been stumped ever on a question because I, you know, it's very simple. If you're just honest, there's always an answer to the question. Yeah. So to be honest with you, I, I, I can honestly say I, I don't ever feel that I failed. And and not because I didn't win yeah. or because I didn't get the animal or I, I didn't make that million dollars or, you know, I, I missed out a, a business deal or, you know, not not because of that because I don't consider those failures. I, I Because I know 
every single thing I've ever done, like right now today doing this podcast, you know, I've got nothing else to do. I'm leaving for the Yukon for three weeks in about two hours, yeah. you know, and, and I, but I'm going to be all in on this podcast doing my best at it. Yeah. Now, so that means when I go to pack and shoot my bow, which I haven't done yet before, <laughs> it's a brand new bow, we'll which I've got to do in the next two hours. <laughs> we'll rent this up, now, now, so, so if I, <laughs> you know, if that moose stands there at 30 yards and I miss him by four feet and, and I forgot my rain gear and, and, uh, it won't be the first archery moose that you've blamed on me. That's a cameraman. I can always, you're still a cameraman <laughs> to me. So, so, but, but you know, that's not a failure because what I'm doing right now, I'm all in 100% doing my best on. Yeah. And if you do that every single thing, every single thing you do, like eating, drinking, I'm, I always do my best. <laughs> yeah, so so how, how can it be a failure? It yeah. can never be a failure. How can it be a failure? You, a, you may come up short of what your goal was. That's a failure? It just comes back to framing. Like people will frame it in different ways. It's just personalities of people who you know and it's often people who are quote unquote successful in life versus people who are not is how they um frame adversity or frame sure well, well if dropping short just, of just, something yeah just imagine if if your goal was to let's just say uh, write a song and and get it to number one on the charts and it's blues the, charts. The, yeah, the blues charts. The, the blues charts. But, but and say it goes to number two, is that a failure? Yeah. You know. Now, if you're afraid of not attaining your goal, what happens the next time? You don't try. Don't try. You sit at home, worried about what might happen. Exactly you might right. fail, so you don't try anything. And then what happens? Oh, nothing happens because you don't try anything. Atrophy. Happens. Yeah, atrophy of the soul, which is everything. Yeah, spirit. It's a and 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 maybe not so much atrophy if you're just sitting on the couch <laughs> eating bonbons, watching TV. <laughs> you know, maybe your body doesn't atrophy, but uh, certainly your your will does. Your your desire, your motivation, all that yeah. just dies. So so you've got a. I, I never look at it as a failure. I mean, I, good for you. It's an awesome way to look at life. Now I'm going to let you go because I know you do have to. No, I, I, I actually, I actually have more time. I don't wait till four. Okay, I have one question. Well, another question for you, and I know you'll probably like to talk about it. Can you explain to me and those people who are listening? Because I've got the obviously the perspective of being there and done it with you, so I get it. But why do you? Well, please explain to me a what a diker is, and b why you like hunting. Dikers. Mm. <laughs> You know what's a funny thing? When I used to write magazine articles, and I was, I, I did humor articles, and and uh, I remember always writing articles poking fun of those safari guys that went to Africa hunting dikers and dick dicks. Yeah. To me, I just like dick dick. Really seriously, you call yourself a hunter? The thing weighs six pounds. Yeah. And it, and it's you know it's got horns that are like an inch long. Yeah. And and so so I mean I. And I apologize. The character I called was T.P. Belly Bloat the Third, and I had a particular <laughs> hunter in mind that would go over to Africa all the time, and that was the character that I poked fun of. And, yeah. and you know what? It was my own ignorance. I yeah. didn't know until I went over there, and and you know the big five, uh, Cape Buffalo. Ooh, you know, and they're dangerous. Sure, they are. They're dangerous, and they're they're. I have friends that are dead. You know, and. Yeah. Great, great hunters, very capable, just, 
you know, wrong place, wrong moment, reacted wrong, you know, situational problems that they died because of Cape Buffalo, elephant, um, hippo, I mean, crocodile, all of them, you know, very, but the big animals are kind of the, they're the, the icons of the, uh, of the wilderness over in Africa. But when you get over there, they're actually pretty easy to hunt. Yeah. There's lots of them. There, it's just kind of what age you want to try and get if you're in the right place. And, and, and they're big, they're impressive, but, but the skill in hunting, and this is for anybody listening right now, if you walk into someone's, you know, man cave and, and see all the big stuff, that's great. He's been over there. He's done, done a lot in Africa. But when you walk into someone's place and they have all the small animals, the small antelope, the, the, you know, that guy's a hunter. It can take you six months of hunting to find one zebra diker. Yeah. And you're not hunting in a cushy resort. You're hunting in <laughs> Liberia in the center of the Ebola worst. country. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, horrible, horrible discomfort. I mean, to the point of where your body's telling you it's survival situation and it's, you know, it's still just discomfort and they're surviving the locals. But the, um, the, the desire to hunt the small animals and the, it just has to be your, your desire's need has to be huge, because why would you crawl, creep around in the jungles of Ghana at night with a little red headlamp, trying to find a royal antelope which weighs you know four pounds? Yeah, again I did yeah. it twice, three times. <laughs> did you? Twice. Lucky you. Yeah, you mean on reflection, great. But you know when you get back on that trail in the dark, it was it. 35, 40 degrees Celsius, 100% yeah, humidity. Yeah, you couldn't, you, you walk can't see hand in front 50 of yards, you're soaked. People don't realize yeah. what true humidity in the jungle is till you're there. And you, like I say, you walk 50 yards and you are. That's, that's all the things that come out after dark. That <laughs> hate, <laughs> hate. People, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like they're just, yeah, they're, it's all right for you. I mean, you've got the guide and you, the hunter, <laughs> and then the cameraman. So what happens is that. God alerts the ants. You piss them off. And by the time I get there, they're in full they're, attack. Uh, yeah, yeah. I laugh so many times. I mean, to me, that's funny. Because yeah. what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to get some weird disease and your arm and, or other parts will fall off. I mean, that's funny. The, uh, but, it, but it's true. And snakes, same thing. Like, you don't know what's crawling around there at night. And that's, that's back to your original question, dikers. You know, they're the most difficult of all the species to hunt in Africa. You know, I'm not sure. There's 28 different subspecies of the dikers over there. And, and uh, you know, the forest dikers, the savannah dikers. Then you've got the dick-dicks and then the well, they're little... They're hard to hunt. They're even antelope. harder to film. I'll tell you that for nothing. Yeah, well, you're... you're not... Especially when you're calling them. <laughs> yeah. you, know, it's, like, you see a flash. You see, you know, we sit down and do 50 calls in a row. Yeah. So we walk, walk for 20 minutes sit down, clip a few branches, get set up, and then the guide starts doing his... Yeah. There's another noise that you'll never forget. Yeah. <laughs> noise. For, you know, minutes of the time, 10 minutes. Yeah. And at some point over that 10 minutes, over 50 sets, someone's going to let off a clay bird thrower from left, right, or center. You don't know where it's going to come from. Yeah, basically, yeah. And it just comes across like a flash. In the jungle that you can see 10 feet in. Yeah. So it's, it's more like a blink, blink, blink. Yeah, trying to run a camera that you've got three batteries... Yeah. per day for three weeks so you can't just have it running the whole time you know so you've got to be on point to catch a flash yeah focus the whole time it's it's, it's mentally brutal training yeah yeah well yeah. and you're just the cameraman so you don't even actually act, 
to hit anything. You just have to hold wide and hope you get a flash in there. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. Imagine if you're holding on to that, that shotgun yeah. and, and you're trying to, you got to be focused. My, my record is, is if you get it right and you hit it and it's dead and I don't, we don't get to do a redo. No, no, <laughs> if you miss, we get a redo no matter how good of a while I Yeah, that's that. right. Take two doesn't happen in our world. But that, that uh, my record actually was 98 sets in a row without a single anything coming in. It was a week straight yeah. of calling constantly all day long, you know, wah, 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 and then walking half a mile in the jungle, calling again, calling again, calling again, 98 times before something came by. And no, I wasn't awake. I wasn't tuned. I wasn't switched on and I didn't even get a shot off. Oh, and they just looked at me like I was the, the dumbest clown yeah. in the forest, the little pygmy guys or Bantus, you know, they, they, they like, what? You know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like how? Where's your focus? Well, it well, was a is, week we, ago we started this stuff. I never, saw, I never saw anything. What do you think? Focus. That left four days ago. Yeah, yeah. No, they are cool little animals. And I know you. I mean, you walk into the next room here. We're in your museum now. And there's a lot of different dikers in there, and I know I recognise a few of them from our time together, and I recognize a few of them that you got since then you know some of the, like water chevrontain and yeah. zebra diker and yeah liberia like those little things that people like there's no reason to go there like there's no reason to go there unless you are that focused on well you, you have to getting you, that you, well that again this is this is the once you've hunted the big five and and done the all the antelope species and you know done the south africa botswana zimbabwe Tanzania, you know, e- even all the way up to Ethiopia. You, you, once you've done all that, then and you want to still see what's over the next mountain or the next across the next valley, that leaves West Africa, and there's not a whole bunch of big stuff in those jungles. You know, there may have been in the past. Well, there still is in some places. The yeah. the pygmy forest elephant, which which makes it really exciting when you're you're tracking through the yeah. forest and all of a sudden bump into a herd of elephants. That that have learned to survive by killing whatever it is just found them. Yeah. You know they just charge instantly. It's same uh, with the gorillas. You remember those gorillas in yeah, the Congo? Yeah, many many times I bumped into gorillas. Mm-hmm. Did we? Is that the, the Congo where we sat on a? On, oh, that was that was Cameroon. I actually was in a machan in Cameroon when they came in. Yeah, a troop of gorillas came in with a big silverback, probably I don't know five six females and a bunch of babies. Holy cow! One of the greatest forty five minutes I've ever oh, lived really in a row. Well. It was, uh, it was, it was fantastic. When we were there, they were obviously hunting the snot out of them. Yeah, because we they were, were the they were so angry. Yeah. A, because their dogs don't have tails, because they cut their tails off, so the gorillas can't get hold of them. Get a hold of them, swing around, <laughs> and swing around, and deal to them. And B, you remember like that guy Andre, and he cut those logging, uh, logging roads that no one had been in there for years, and he just mounted up those machetes on one side of his. Uh, on one side, we're trying to stop Jim's dog <laughs> licking himself. If you can hear sort of a he's barely, general lapping in the background, he's just giving himself. His, he's, he's barely a dog. He's closer to actually a horse size. So he's, he's sort of a cross between a horse and a wolf. Yeah. Anyway, he cut those. They were dead straight, tunnels, and they were just like tunnels. And you remember that troop of gorillas crossed in the morning, and that silverback yeah. came, sat down, and just screamed through the window. You, you just, just hate pure, unadulterated. Hate and disdain. Yeah. Just, I'll never ever forget the look in his eyes yeah. as he did that. Like it was, yeah, yeah it's a, it, exactly. It's it's a it's a moment where you realize, you know, that, that 
had evolution gone a little differently, they would have torn us to bits. Oh, absolutely. We, we wouldn't be here today. If they could, they still would. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, that's uh, yeah, I, I've never seen hate like that. I remember exactly, I remember that big silverback. And that was where the first time in my life, not evil, not evil. No. Pure hate. And, and you know, hate, hate, hate that deep comes out of, out of the deepest pain. You know, that's the only way you can ever end up with that kind of hate. And that, that, and I'm not talking like I, I hip bang my knee against the door pain. I'm talking about uh, generations of 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 uh, of deep pain to create that hate. We have it in our world. Humans have it too. I'm sure you can look in the eyes of, of certain humans around the world, and and they would you you would recognize that hate. But that comes out of deep pain, and whatever caused that pain, I don't know. You know, I we're so protected in in our Western world here. We don't. We just kind of think everybody should get along and love each other, and, and it's just not the way it, it's been. No. And it hasn't been interspecies like that ever. No. It still isn't. You know, Disney might turn it into I love you and you love me, and <laughs> and we're all part of the same program, but it, but it's... Yeah, go try and pet that silverback. It, see yeah, how it goes for you. It's not going to happen, and, and no. yeah, Lion King, he can be pretty sweet. I even suspect Nemo would, would chew your finger off if he could you know if in a given situation so it it's just not the way the world is and and that was it's that was actually a fairly poignant moment no, not fairly it was a poignant moment in my career it's funny you should bring that up because i think about it all the time you yeah, know that I tell the story all the time it, it really yeah it puts things a lot of things into perspective sure and it's just such a an unreal moment to see that that was a crazy trip we saw a cham- chimpanzee on that trip yeah yeah, we called one in, I believe, didn't we? On no, the one I saw was up a tree. Just oh, no, same we, thing. One of the trips we called one in, and, and that you know, would have been free. If I had, if I had to actually, you know, hyenas to me are a little bit evil. You know, they just yeah. kind of look like it. I don't know. Well, they yeah. look a lot like my dog Rez, actually. Yes, who's definitely the opposite of, of yeah. evil. But but when the chimpanzee came in, we were calling you know like a baby diker in distress. Yeah. You knew that he was coming in there, and there it was malevolent. There was no compassion no, in that chimpanzee. That Zero. He was coming in to tear whatever it was, calling and in distress. He wasn't going to coddle it and and raise it to be Mowgli and, yeah, and no you know baby Tarzan. No, it's not that. He was coming in to to pull it limb from limb and and eat it. A hot meal. Yeah, you know, live or not, it wouldn't matter. And that 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 kind of uh, you know different than the. The gorillas. When I looked in that gorilla's eyes, I saw, you know, like like you say, disdain. Like just, I'm better than you. I know I'm better than you. You know I'm better than you. Yeah. But you, for whatever reason, you you guys just get out of that truck. Yeah, try. just try. Just Come on out. over. Yeah. But the chimpanzee, I, I saw something different. I saw more of a. I I actually I don't want to personify animals, but but uh, to me that was evil coming in. That you know it was a. Uh, it, it was something that is sentient that just malevolent, like I say, had no... Well, they're sentient enough. If you bring them up by hand, then they are sentient and they have... Because they've grown around people, right? Right. But if you put that same animal into an environment where, you know, it's real life, you know, wild lands, wild environment, scary, that's... Well, well, it's you, conditioned you, by, so of course it's going to be yeah, like you know, I mean, you, In those situations, you don't have the luxury of higher sensibilities. No. You don't. You're, you're in a survival mode. And, and, I mean, 
if we were in the same, if we were in their feet, I was going to say their boots, you know, we'd, we'd be the exact same. I, like, I don't think it's that far buried deep beneath our skin that uh, we'd be right back in that same, only we'd be a combination of the the silverback gorilla, the chimpanzee, and then the, the sort of just general meanness of, of a baboon. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're, we're kind <laughs> of, you know, we'd have all three of those. Baboons uh, and dicks all around, yeah, all the way, speaking. All the way around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Louise always tells a story of her first trip to Tanzania and seeing a troop of baboons. Aren't they cute? And there was a little baby and sort of a teenager baboon sitting there. And, and the little baby was... You know, they were some beside each other, kind of ignoring each other. And then the bigger one went whack when the little guy turned his head. Yeah. And then he went back to just sit normally. The little guy looks, squeaks and squawks and looks around. And, you know, what happened? And then he just sits there and gets back to doing what he's doing. And the little bigger one, whack again. You know, they, they, you know they, they're, they, like I say, they're just mean. Yeah. They're just mean. Uh, I think chimpanzees in the wild are evil, regardless of, is it Jane Goodall or is it Fosse? Which one's the uh, Good old Diane funny. Fosse? You know, you know, they're, uh, you know, regardless of how they want to spin it, all due respect to, to Jane and what she's accomplished and fantastic career. Um, but, you know, I don't see it in the wildlands. I sure do on the habituated ones. Like they're almost human, but uh, I don't see that out in the wildlands. Well, there's a couple of documentaries of um, chimpanzees um, that show their, their darker side, like committing essentially infanticide infanticide and murder within even within their own sort of peer group ganging up on guys because they have a weakness or did something like i say go go downtown yeah go downtown and walk in the wrong part of town and then you want to you want to see the these exact character traits we all have them yeah you know we've just we've been uh very fortunate as a species that uh we we had some a skill set that brought us to where we are unfortunately for the world yeah no kidding like you say seven and a half billion people that's a problem yeah but but then you you know you say unfortunately for the world but you go wait a minute you know there's 25 billion chickens in the world the chickens are thrilled yeah you know that biomass of chickens has replaced that much biomass of wild animals yeah 100 percent. it's say six billion head of cattle in this world they're happy yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it's arguable that sheep, goats, pigs, cows, and chickens, and horses are are the greatest evolutionary design species that ever existed, yeah. you know, along with humans. Because that's ultimately what your goal is as a human. Make no mistake, is to propagate your species. And they've done a heck of a job. Now, it may be symbiotic with us, but yeah, they're successful they're successful competitors. Darwin would be looking at this and saying, "Yeah, cows are the most successful." Yeah, no, you're right. You know, like, like, look, look how they've survived, and they're, they're a dumb cow. Yeah. Well, they're not well, that. They're not. They're dumb like a fox. Yeah. Selective by the fact that they can be farmed. Sure. I mean, how many woolly mammoths do you see? How many giant ground sloths? Where's the uh, megafauna? That's all. A, is that a skeleton one in the other room? Yeah, there is. Yeah, a yeah, woolly mammoth, twenty thousand years old. So bad, badass. It's the best thing about the permafrost melting is the fact that we're getting all this cool stuff getting pushed to the surface. <laughs> yeah, when the, when the weather, you know, the environment changes the other direction, it's all going to freeze up again. We're going to have found all those skeletons, so good luck to the next 4,000 years worth of humans <laughs> looking for, for mammoth skeletons. Yeah. yeah no I, I, I'd actually, uh, if you're a believer in the stock market, I'd 
I'd go long on on buying woolly mammoth ivory right now. Because you know, sure, the world's warming up, and it and it will, and it has before. There was, there was jungles up on Ellesmere Island in Canada, the most northerly point in Canada. Jungles, trees, giant trees. The earth was a heck of a lot warmer back when, and several times. You know, this was a mile deep in ice. So this goes ebbs and flows, ebbs and flows. You know, we didn't cause the last ice age twenty thousand years ago. We didn't cause the one at four hundred thousand years ago or a million years ago. You know, we didn't cause that. But, you know, as long as it's warming up, let's go find some mammoth <laughs> ivory and skeletons. And, and, and then, uh, sorry yeah. to the next, the next uh, you know, after this, they'll, they won't even know that there was mammoths because they'll never find a piece cause, unless they come to our Hand of Man Museum. Yeah, exactly. Or if somebody figures out the whole DNA thing. Yeah, reproduce. So Ivan Carter posted today, actually, they've just... Uh, I saw that. Done the thing with the... Yeah, the northern white, white rhino. Northern white rhino. Yeah, they kept the eggs of the last two females, and yeah. seven of them are viable that they've impregnated with. I, I assume it's it's well, semen from a from another northern white that was frozen. One who died, it's frozen. Yeah. So they have to see how many of those become viable, and then they'll implant them into a embryos into normal into a, white rhino. Yeah. Where, so you'll end up with a northern white rhino being born inside a southern white rhino, or, or gestating inside a th- southern white rhino have a mother who's a well surrogate mother yeah i mean it's it's incredible what they can do with science it's amazing isn't it yeah oh well one more thing if you um you know given that most of our audience are in new zealand and you've been there a few times now um well firstly did you enjoy your whitetail hunt there i always knew you would enjoy awesome that. whitetail hunt that's yeah. a tough hunt it was more like sheep hunting I, and we didn't use helicopters. I, that was one thing I didn't want to do. Yeah. No, you know, I don't have a problem with people using helicopters to get up to the well, top of the mountain. It's generally only the, the internationals that do because they're sh- The local guys don't do that. Time. Yeah. yeah, they don't do that. And, and, I, and I wanted to do it like, like they would. Now, I, I certainly didn't get as big a whitetail as I'd have loved to, but I certainly got one that I was proud of. A bit. You know, he, he was, uh, it was a tough, tough hunt. Uh, and fascinating. I mean, they're above I, the chamois at certain times of year, like they're way. Oh, up there. it was, it was. It was. They were showing me where, and I said, "Nah, there's no whitetails up there. They're down here in the forest." No, no. And, and, and I mean, crawling down that mountain with that whitetail in the dark, yeah. and I mean, it was. Well, you're hunting your chamois on the South Island. There, uh, were you with me when I? It was a 289 yard shot. Yeah. And the reason I took with a muzzleloader. Yeah. The reason I took that shot is because I I said, you know. I will never climb these mountains again. <laughs> you know, this is this is. I recognize my limitations, and you got me up here once, death defying. Yeah. But I'm taking the shot, and and whatever happens, happens because I'm not coming up here tomorrow yeah. or ever again. And and it was kind of like that with the whitetails. It was steep, nasty, hard, uh, and incredibly rewarding. You know, just in the terms of accomplishment, I. I I loved it. We were in the Reese Valley. Yeah, um, it's a beautiful part of the world, man. Yeah, it was. It was. I'd go back again to New Zealand in a heartbeat. I still want to go back down there and hunt. Uh, I think the only thing I haven't hunted that you guys have down there is a little wallaby, a smaller subspecies of the not the Bennets or the redneck, but it's a oh, the North Island version. Probably they're I didn't smaller. They're a different species. Yeah, they are. Yeah. See, there you go. I taught you something. Ah, there's one I have that you don't. <laughs> yeah, and I don't have that. You know, so I'd love to get one for the museum, which yeah. I, I don't have. I've got the redneck. Yeah. But uh, I, I'd go back. I, the Waimakariri Gorge yeah. was unbelievable. The Chatham Islands. Oh, you uh, got out to the Chathams? Of course. What are you kidding me? That's, yeah, that's what I do. Right? Is, 
I, I, I literally looked at, talked to all the New Zealanders and they talked like the Chatham Islands, the Chatham Islands, like some crazy place for the Arapaho sheep that were released there Captain Cook. 150 years ago. Yeah, it was, well, not quite Captain Cook it was after apparently, yeah. but who knows, right? He, he dropped well, stuff I don't everywhere. Know where they came from. Well, he dropped, originally they dropped them on Arapaho Island, which is in the Queen Charlotte's. Really? Yeah. Uh, here, Queen Charlotte's and... No, Queen Charlotte's Sound in... Oh, you know, okay. She named uh, everything after herself, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a Queen Charlotte if I, Sound. Hey, if I was a queen, I'd name everything after myself too. <laughs> and there's an Arapara Island in the Queen Charlotte Sounds. Okay, but there's none are. left on there, is oh, there? there? Are they? Because yeah, I was told that the one original island, there was none left, so I never went there. So there's there's Pitt Island. and then there's Pitt Island, Island was the one I was yeah. thinking of. No, but Pitt Island is where I hunted. That's on the Chatham. That's on the Chatham. Yeah, so, so. so the other one is Queen Charlotte Islands. See, but or they told Arapara. me which is where the, what the, we call them all Arapara. So Arapara Island and the Queen Charlotte's. I believe, don't quote me 100%, they're still there. I've seen photos of guys hunting them there. Huh. Well, it let, might be private land. You know what? Let's make a plan. Okay. I'll come back down there and let's go find out. You know what you should do? And I know that you know. He just said you never climb in a mountain to chase a chamois in New Zealand again, but the the work that the Fjordland Wapiti Foundation have done oh, down there on which, the southern tip. Which, by the way, is a second species that down in uh, New Zealand that I have not hunted. And mostly because I've been scared off by, by you guys that live down there, the toughest hunters in the world. Like I say, the blood of Sir Edmund courses all your veins. and It's proper country. I've heard that. I've and heard it's, that. it's not a, you know, you have to go into a, so a draw or ballot to yeah. get a blow. Yeah, that was the other thing. To get a good time, it takes. We can put you on the ticket every year until we get it, Jimmy. And yeah, there you go. Come with us. Uh, then, yeah. I'm already 61. So how, how old am I going to be? And, 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 you know, the desire for... Doing that is, I, I, no, the desire is there, but the recognition that my ability to do what you can do, yeah. you know, that I used to be able to do, I, I have to face the fact that, you know, yeah. I can't carry as, the sheep hunt I was just on. Yeah. My pack was maybe 40 pounds. The other guy's packs were 90. And did I, you run into Jimmy Shear? Uh, yeah, I did. Tough. He's one of your guys, eh? Yeah, yeah. He's a tough little guy. Ultimate, no, he doesn't look at them. He no, no, you, you look at, but all the guys, every one of them, when yeah. they speak of them, that's, uh, we just call them kiwi, so you, got, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, we call all you guys kiwi. Yeah. But he's tough. He, you know, he he didn't come up on the actual hunt with us. Uh, he stayed down at the bottom because his job was to glass the the mountainside, yeah. and and he but he came up to help us bring down the ram and all the gear. Yeah. Tough, tough young man. He's, yeah, he he's one of the guys that went through our program, not this last one, but the year before. So it's the second year working, sort of basically under Wojo. And he's one of these guys that came over here and has just embraced the whole experience. Like he has done everything possible that he can do. Yeah. So Wojo loves him because he can, you know, he's a builder. He oh, can we, build we, we dumped him into my, my camp yeah. it, at, when floor. winter's there. Yeah. yeah. And basically uh, let, let winter come in while he was there by himself, yeah. which, by the way, is only 20 miles away from where that lady and her baby were killed, the trapper's wife and yeah. one-year-old daughter were killed by the grizzly bear. Yeah. At that same time, you know, actually two weeks later. So, so I mean, th- this is no, when you put somebody in those situations out there, they've got to be incredibly capable, A, not prone to any self-doubt. They've got to be 100% self-reliant and know that they're in a hostile environment, yeah. environmentally wise, but also, you know, the, the wildlife up there will kill you. Yeah. The wolves will kill you. The grizzly bears will kill you. And, and that's uh, to, to, that, that speaks of great respect when Wojo 
the toughest of the tough will yeah. allow you, you know, give you the opportunity to actually yeah, do that. It means he believes that, that you know, A, you understand the five rules, yeah, safety, 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 and safety, yeah. and, uh, and B, that you're, you know, you're going to be alive when we do send the airplane in a, a couple yeah. weeks later. Yeah, he's had a great, up to this point, I mean, he's been in the country for, you know, over a year. We went back. I think he went back for Christmas. But he, you know, he did whitetail. Well, pre, he went and built a whitetail camp for, helped build a whitetail camp in Saskatchewan. Then he flew in, did the Yukon thing. Then he um, stayed to the winter thing. Then he went back in and did winter caribou with Bojo. Yeah, tough. That's all. Then he went home. Then he's come back and he spent season at, at, um, Pacific Rim chasing black bears yeah, the spring and jack of all trades. So he's just really embraced the idea of I'm going to get one shot at this. Yeah, just I'm going to do everything it. I can. Well, you get one life, yeah. so so live at 100 miles an hour, and that's what he's doing. Yeah. In in I mean, truly the remotest place left in the world. Yeah. The Yukon. I mean, si- Siberia's Grand Central Station compared to the Yukon. Yeah. Is and that that territory is. I mean, yeah. imagine it's it's 12,000 square miles. Which has to be a portion the size of the North Island in New Zealand. You know what? It's it's you know the twelve thousand squares. I worked it out. Our Fiordland National Park, which is our biggest national park, yeah. is slightly smaller than your outfitting territory. Yeah, seven point five million acres. Yeah, as as so that puts it into perspective for yeah, guys listening at home how big it is. And then yeah. you've got what twelve camps. Active, yeah. spread out, 15 camps active. Yeah, probably with cabins, time. 12, yeah. 15, and then, then the uh, tent camps. And there's not a single road. Joining there's not a house. There's no road in the entire territory, none. Just the one edge of the territory, one boundary, yeah. where our base camp is with our, our log, big log cabins. Yeah. That's it. I mean, it's remote. No one goes there other than us, the trappers, and the odd prospector. Yeah. It's uh, it's pure wilderness. Well, I am jealous that you're going back there tomorrow. I think you'll enjoy Nate and Chet. Oh, yeah. I've had Chet up there before. Um, yeah. He was here last year, wasn't he? Uh, two years ago. Yeah. Two years ago. He got a good caribou. And then Nate is just going to be frothing. Yeah, he'll he be he'll be over so the moon. Excited. He, yeah, he, you know, that, that's that's a level of hunting that or a degree of hunting that you just can't do because it doesn't exist anywhere no. except there. You can hunt all the whitetails you want and, and hunt elk. You know, and, and it, it, yeah, it's it's pretty wild. You, you know, it's twenty miles to the nearest, you know, town. Yeah, but up there, no. it's yeah. pure. I, I would, my jealousy would be a lot higher. But in two weeks, my father's coming over for his sixtieth. I'm guiding him for a mu- moose in northern BC. Wow, that's good. Which has been something that I've you know it's a been on my list to do is hunt with him there right. he actually spent time in that territory back when I was working with you you and I were in Mongolia or something and he came over and spent time up there over the summer not Dar- the hunting Darwin season area, yeah. yeah over the summer just hanging yeah. out so he got to see it but not hunt so now he's coming back with my business partner Curran yeah. and we're hunting backpack moose hunting slash sheep hunting out of one of one of Darwin's wow. forgotten about and, and so and why are you guiding? Is there no guides available? Probably, right? no good guides. 
They're, yeah, all, they're all busy. We can't afford, Although, <laughs> can't afford real ones. <laughs> well, number one, as soon as you said backpack moose hunt, they went, okay, <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm busy that week. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah don't, don't be calling me because, uh, Maddie, have you ever tried to lift a moose? Yes. And put it in a backpack? I've hunt? actually done seven backpack moose out of that camp alone. Is that right, eh? Yeah. So backpack it's, it's more about self-control and getting good at calling and bring like, it up, yeah, exactly. There's don't a moose two, lim- two kilometers ago. Let's go shoot it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's sit here and wait for him yeah. to come to us. The moose, moose two kilometers away when you're on a backpack hunt are always small, too mm-hmm. small. Too small, not Once, legal. The closer they get to you, the, the One, bigger two, three, they four, get. One, nah, he's not even close. <laughs> no, and, and it doesn't matter if he's only got antlers that are like, like little yeah. tiny nothings. Yeah. When he's right beside the water, where the boat can get to. On a nice flat He's spot. a giant. He's a giant. <laughs> Shoot. Well, that's a good thing about Dad. He's not going to worry too much about it. He's just there for the experience. Yeah, right? Which we all are. True yeah. hunters, that's what it's all about. And and in the end, you get the meat. Moose meat is, is as good as wild game as exists in this world. Yeah. You want to see some good packing jobs, you should see how much meat I can fit into a tiny little box freezer in my apartment. Yeah. yeah. Perfectly stacked. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. My, my mouth get is watering. The, get through the salmon in there now. Got it after a few salmon this year. Oh, good for you! It's been so much fun. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I don't think I've ever caught a salmon. I, I'm a prawner and a, a crabber. Well, actually, me and your son are going to take your boat out here in a couple of hours and change that. Uh, you guys are going to go. Yeah. And you're going to my mighty thunder jet is going to have a salmon in it. Yeah, going to be just salmon blood all <laughs> through the inside. Of it. Yeah, you, know, you know what? Yeah, before I call the cleaners and make an appointment, I'll wait. I'll wait and see. You know, no detailers, just wait. Yeah, Let's this just is coming it. from a guy that salmon fish maybe four or five times. But you know, just like hunting, if you want to get into something, because I knew nothing about it, like nothing. If you want to learn about it, find someone who does it a lot and just yeah, go with them that. and learn. Sure. Absolutely. That's just, you obviously didn't take that same bit of advice for your being a cameraman. No, they, they, I was stuck with you the whole time. <laughs> they basically, yeah. they basically said, you learn. can hunt, here's a camera, just yeah. do the same thing, except not with a, not yeah, with a gun. Yeah. And, and follow here's, that guy you around. You can hunt, here's a camera, just don't do anything you'd normally do in a hunting situation, because then you'll screw it up. It's like, oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Don't get excited. Don't you know? get excited. Don't, you know, point anything out. Just... Hang out. Yeah, pretend like you don't exist, which because you know that that's how I'm going to treat you. So it's <laughs> yeah. once you get over that, it's everything's easy from that point. <laughs> oh well, pal, we'll wrap it up there. I really appreciate you taking the time. I really do. It's fun, and, and uh, Andre, Andre, is it? Hey, Andre, Andre yeah. coming for you, big guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to see. That's the great thing about these things. We've got all our statistics right now. New Zealand audience by ninety percent. So it'd be interesting once we'll, you we'll share. We'll change that. Uh, let's post it on, like I say, we'll talk to Ellie, my assistant, and let's give this a plug. I, I may be cheating a little bit on on, uh, on you, Andre, sorry, but. Uh, <laughs> he, but. He, he'll he be fine, I'm sure. He'd probably be uh, more than happy for the competition. This is a guy that um, hunts. He owns a, a, a CrossFit gym in Christchurch in New Zealand, but he's a, got a Tongan passport, so he managed to get himself a, an invite to the CrossFit Games in Tonga as a wild in the States as a wild card entry through his Tongan passport. So just threw himself in with these guys are professional I, athletes. I watched that. Like professional athletes. So he just casually entered himself into it and he did really well. I think he bet the highest Aussie qualifier. Really? Like he crushed it. It's uh, I watched or I didn't watch uh, but I know Bran our son 
is into CrossFit, and he did a thousand pull-ups in three hours. I can't do one, no. like, but that's just because I'm a lot fatter than him. But <laughs> but but I mean, and that's that's what CrossFit does. It, but you know, you know, ultimately, and all these guys will realize it eventually. Why do you do that? Why do you get to be good at skiing? Why do you get to be good at swimming? Why do you why do you good at sports? Why can you throw a ball? Because those are all skills you need to be a great hunter. Yeah. So the CrossFit thing is absolutely part of it. Throwing a ball is part of it too. I mean, yeah. it, you know, your eyes being able to pick up what's out there. That's so you train your eyes. Yeah. This is all part of all these skill sets that these people are practicing. Well, that's what sports are. Of course they are. Sports are just reincarnation of what it used to be hunt with a bunch of buddies for your village. That's, it's that's exactly, what it is. That's exactly what it is. That's why and I enjoy it, them so much. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's why you're seeing so many more of these people that are on the leading edges of all these extreme sports, even surfing. Yeah. They're, they're now starting to look at, at hunting. Even I mean, I can name, I, I'm not allowed, but I, but I could name many top-level professional athletes that are into hunting now. Yeah. And and they just can't afford to because their their team, Manchester United or whatever, will go you know, crazy at them because they, they'll get bad press from a yeah. tiny minority of the people out there that are the loudest. Yeah. So so people are realizing, and there's, you know, I have, uh, I'm very bullish on the future of, of, of hunting and hunters. I am too. I, I really do think... There always will be a place for it if it's done correctly with the right, right. intent. Yep, and absolutely. I, th- I think that's what we need to project out there, and it's why we do this: is to give people some perspective of why we do it, and not we're not doing it just to crush cans of Lucky Lager and you know drive around in a truck and be a Yahoo. It's there's a lot more to it than that. Amen, Maddie. Amen. All right, pal. Thanks very much. Now we'll see if I pause recorded the whole thing. G'day. Thanks for listening to the Educated Hunter podcast. There are a number of ways you can connect with myself, Matthew Gibson, or my partner in crime, Curran Island, at The Educated Hunter. And the hub for all of this is our website, theeducatedhunter.com. Our Instagram page is at theeducatedhunter. Our website also has a spot where you can sign up for our newsletter that comes once every two weeks and is full of relevant information about hunting in New Zealand and around the world. And lastly, you can search out any of the episodes that we've done in the past and find the show notes on that episode. Other than that, thanks very much for listening and I hope you're having a good day wherever you are and your next hunting adventure is not too far away.